Welcome to The Closing Table. I'm your host, Joseph Foley. Today we have John Twombley uh, from Two Bridges Asset Management. Uh, thanks for joining us today, John. It's great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So why don't you tell us a little about your role at Two Bridges Asset Management and what's the strategy and your mission here? So I'm the founder and managing member of Two Bridges. Mm -hmm. uh, we started in 2013. We have a very niche strategy, which is to invest in B and C class multifamily assets in the southeastern United States. Okay. Uh, can you describe some of your track record in AUM? So currently we've got about 20 million, say conservatively, under management that's uh, across four assets. Um, it's all within that strategy of uh, BNC multifamily. We're focused on, I said the southeast, but sort of very specifically right now South Carolina is mm -hmm. where we're focused. Um, we're looking to expand outward from there, but we got our start in uh, South Carolina. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. that's great. I uh, love the Carolinas. Uh, so why don't you tell me a little bit about the dynamics and drivers when you're looking to acquire an asset or when you see a good investment? So I understand that you're trying to expand, but what are the key elements when you look at an asset, specifically multifamily, uh, that you see as like a home run? So our strategy is long-term hold. Mm -hmm. right. We see really a lot of the value being created just by the operation of time at the back end of the hold period. So we want to extend that hold period as long as we can. Uh, so when we're looking for assets, we're looking for good candidates for a long-term hold. Mm -hmm. So the buildings ought to be in good shape when we buy them. Um, we're looking for properties that don't have a whole lot of deferred maintenance, uh, don't have a whole lot of issues, we're not looking to reposition. We're looking for, for properties that are currently performing, currently stabilized, and are going to provide our investors with distributions you know, pretty much from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So would you consider this like a, a core, core plus in, uh, strategy? to say the least? I never know what the hell people are talking about when they say that. <laughs> okay, uh, I mean, Core Core Plus <laughs> is kind of like, you don't really touch much, you kind of like fix the security guards or put some paint on. Uh, yeah, I'd say if, you're, if that's your definition, that's, that's what we're looking for. I mean, we will do some light capital improvement to a deal. Okay. You know, when we come in, we'll, you know, we do a capital assessment, but um, so, you know, we'll, we'll put in money to, you know, fix the obvious things that are that have been left alone by the, the previous management, mm -hmm. but uh, to be honest, I mean, we we really like deals uh, that we buy from rehabbers. So, if we have, uh, you know, we can identify good rehabbers in the market. We love those deals. Mm -hmm. if, if they're if they do a high quality job, you know, they leave us with a good asset. That's a perfect candidate for us to buy for uh, for our long term hold strategy. So, do you, I mean going on a little bit? Do you have any strategic partners that you like? You kind of look for a developer. Fix and flipper, we'll call them, uh, and kind of you know they do all the work for you. Like, hey, we're your exit strategy scenario. So we haven't done that yet. Okay, that would be great. I mean, okay. we have, we have. Uh, there's one group that's operating down there that we've done a couple of transactions with. We'd be happy to do more with them because mm -hmm. they produce a really high quality product. Um, and you know, obviously, if we could find other people like them, we'd be happy to work with them too. But we haven't actually structured a deal with somebody where we said, hey, look, you go take down the asset, rehab it, and then worry your exit strategy. We haven't done that yet. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your investment criteria and your fee structure so investors at home can kind of you know, understand how, where, where your added value is in yeah. that aspect. So um, let's see, we're, I'm gonna take down that question. That's, so in terms of what we look for, um, you know, we're typically looking for uh, assets that are 
125 units or more. We want to have something that's big enough that you know there's operational efficiencies there. We also like to buy stuff that's near assets that we already own. Mm -hmm. because So we don't do value add on the sort of construction side or repositioning side. The value that we provide on these deals is really on the operational side. Mm -hmm. So we buy, you know, typically we're buying deals either from you know, rehabbers who are in and out or from mom and pops typically only have one asset or two assets in the market. Mm -hmm. They don't have the ability to, to you know, operate across a portfolio, share costs, share labor. That's what we do. So we like to buy assets that are already near something that we own where we can share the labor costs, we can bid out the contracts together, and that way we can drive down the costs and you know, increase our NOI even if we are not able to increase rents, although typically we can increase rents as well. So it's like an economies of scale situation. Yeah, it's yeah. an economies of scale play. So it's value add uh, on the management side, but not so much on the, you know, we don't, we don't look explicitly for kind of repositioning opportunities. Okay. It's more, you know, we're looking for solid assets that are well located, that are attractive, they're in the markets that we like, but you know, where it's like a mom and pop situation where they're not really maximizing the value of the asset because they can only do so much. Mm -hmm. Understandable, yeah. completely. Uh, so you're going back to the Carolinas. Why, do you, why did you pick that geographical location specifically in that asset size? Uh, so elaborate. when I got started in this business, originally I had been working with uh, my old partner. We were looking at deals in Texas and Louisiana. Mm -hmm. uh, when that partnership broke up, um, you know, I was looking, f I kind of had, you know, tabula rasa, I could look wherever I wanted to. You know, I'm based here in New York, obviously assets are prohibitively expensive here. It's kind of it. Yeah, it's very hard <laughs> to make money, especially if you're, you know, trying to provide people with a return right away. So for buy and hold, New York is obviously a tough place to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, had to write off New York. Um, I really took a kind of demographic, numbers crunching approach to choosing a market. So. I was very lucky because the census data had just come out mm -hmm. from 2010. Um, I was able to you know, sort that information, basically lopped off anything that was below the na national average in terms of growth. Mm -hmm. um, that also eliminated the Northeast because the Northeast is not growing that fast in terms of population. Um, and I lopped off anything west of the Mississippi because I wanted it to be close to New York. Once I had done that, the Carolinas just jumped out as a place that was growing very quickly and it was close to New York. Um, you know, additionally, people are always asking me when I say I invest in the Southeast. They always think Florida. I, I'm not. I'm not hot on markets like Florida that everybody else is into. Mm -hmm. That's sort of always a red flag for me. If everybody's jumping into a market, I kind of want to go the other direction. I avoided Texas for the same reason. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm really happy I did, given what's happened with energy down there. Yes. Um, it was always a fear of mine too, uh, the energy market. But the. Um, the, uh, so the, the, the first driver was sort of that population growth that yeah. I saw. The second was the proximity to, to New York City in terms of being able to get down there. Um, and then in terms of like why we pick, uh, oh no, sorry, then the third driver is obviously like sort of job creation. Yeah. Um, the, those states are, are very, very aggressive about courting business. South Carolina in particular has really brought in a lot of manufacturing in the last few years. Um, they've been able to attract, you know, uh, Boeing, they've been able to attract uh, BMW, Volvo just announced plans to build a huge plant in South Carolina, and you've got the knock-on effects from that with all of the auto suppliers moving in. Mm -hmm. um, 
they've also been very good about building infrastructure. So one of the places that we focus heavily on is the upstate area of South Carolina, which is basically the belt along I-85 between Atlanta and Charlotte. Okay. So Makes sense. in the last few years, they've built an inland port there, so it's becoming a major distribution hub. Um, so all of those kind of uh, you know, jobs and infrastructure also kind of dro drove our thinking uh, in terms of focusing on that area. Oh, that's a great, that's yeah. a great thesis yeah. uh, at that point. Uh, why don't you tell us about like the size, uh, going after you, know, you said 120 units, yeah. and why don't you tell me about your four thinking about what size your portfolio will be? So in terms of the assets themselves, I mean, we've up until this point been typically using accredited investor money, high net worth money. Um, so, you know, we're not looking at huge size assets. I mean, typical deal size for us is five, six million dollars. You know, we're looking for a million and a half to two million of equity. Mm -hmm. um, down there, you know, that amount of money will buy you a, a, a well-positioned, you know, 125 unit building. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we move forward, we, we grow our investor base, we'll be looking to do bigger deals. But we've actually thought about this quite a bit. and. We're actually very committed to staying in the, in the sub $10 million range. Okay. And the reason for that is, you know, once you start getting above $10 million, you really start banging heads with bigger players, some institutional players, and, and they're driving cap rates down aggressively. And if you're staying below that $10 million line, you know, you're competing with other operators like us. There's not as many people that you're competing with. Mm -hmm. So you still got relatively attractive cap rates. In the last deal we were involved in, we were buying it at a almost a seven cap rate oh, that's for great. a you know newly rehabbed, really well positioned property. Um, so you know we're continuing to see deals like that, and we're committed to staying below that level. So that's great. Uh, why don't we roll into the next thing? Uh, since we touched on geographic, why don't we talk about? you know, the overall market domestically. You know, in my opinion, I think that they might have a little bit of a correction in the next, you know, say six to 18 months. Uh, we've had a great run since 2008. So I would love to know, you know, what your perspective of that point is and, you know, we could go from there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, obviously I think about this question a lot because we're all trying to figure out where the market is going. Um, I have seen a little bit of softening. I mean, you, know, you asked me a year ago, there was a feeding frenzy going on. It was getting very difficult to, to get deals, mm -hmm. a lot of competition. You know, now it seems like it's, it's loosening up a little bit. Certainly what you're seeing with like the CMBS market is mm -hmm. making it much more difficult for people to get attractive debt mm -hmm. in that market. And I think that's affecting things a little bit. Um, but just in general, the cycle has been going on for a very long time. And um, while I don't see a you know, 2008 style crash occurring again, I definitely think there's going to be, you know, the natural end to the cycle coming up. Um, in terms of timing, it's hard to say, um, but I would say within three years, I'd be really surprised if it went longer than that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's still some things that are positive that are going on in the underlying economy, and certainly for multifamily, jobs continue to be created. We're finally seeing some income growth. You know, those things are helping a lot drive the underlying, um, you know, demand for apartments. Mm -hmm. um, in the kind of markets where we're operating, you're also not seeing a lot of new supply. I mean, there, there, say, in some limited markets, you're seeing a lot of, you know, Class A being built, but there's, there's nothing for the people that we're renting to being built at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so, 
there's no additional supply coming on there. The population is growing. Those people are getting more jobs. So I don't really see the underlying demand factors changing very much in that slice of the market mm -hmm. anytime soon. So it's really going to be about you know, the availability of debt, investor sentiment. That may change things in terms of the, you know, the, the, the business cycle for, uh, for transactions. Yeah, of course. So now that we discussed about the domestic market and what you feel, uh, you kind of agree that there's going to be a lull in it sooner or later in the next three years. We have a presidential election, you know, transition going on, you know, job market's kind of soft right in there as well. Why don't you tell us and the viewers, you know, other fund managers and real estate developers, how would you, if you, if you knew this was happening, what would you do to kind of hedge your bets? Uh, you know, specifically yours, it seems like more of a, a pensioner situation. Well, so obviously one way to hedge your bets is just do nothing and sit on your hands. Mm -hmm. But if you're not in that position, um, you know, we're, we're still in acquisition mode. We're not stopping. If anything, we see, you know, maybe opportunities coming as the market softens. Um, now, obviously, you know, all things considered, you want to time the market perfectly and buy at the bottom. But since that's not possible, mm -hmm. then what do you do to protect yourself? Um, you know, without being too self-serving about it, I, I think that our strategy is actually very good for this kind of environment because we're not looking to get in and out of the deal in 18 months. You know, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not rehabbing, so we're not gonna get caught in this, at the bottom of the cycle where you know, nobody can get financing, so nobody can buy it from us and our financing is coming due. You know, we're not looking at a short-term you know, short hold of three to five years when you might end up sort of trying to exit mm -hmm. right in the middle of the cycle or trying to refinance at the worst point. You know, we're, as I said, looking at a long-term hold. I mean, our window is, is five to 10 years, and hopefully closer to the 10, mm -hmm. because that's where we see the, the real value creation happening. So, uh, you know, given that, as I said, obviously, you know, would we prefer to buy it when, it's, when deals are cheaper? Yes, but th our model works when deals are still relatively expensive. And in our markets, you know, relatively expensive is a seven cap, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of room for error when you're buying at a seven cap as opposed to when you're buying at a three cap. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't want to be buying deals in a market where, you know, like New York, where you're buying at a three or a four. Especially with basis points. Yeah, and especially if you're looking to exit in, in the short term. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you've got a very, very long time horizon, then time will cover a lot of mistakes. But, um, you know, if you're looking to, if you're looking to be exiting, you know, even in the five to 10 year window, buying at a seven or eight cap, is obviously you know a much better thing to do. So um, you know that that's where I feel like we have the kind of downside protection. You know we're we're buying with enough of a cushion that you know we can have some fluctuations in occupancy, still be able to make our debt service. We're not looking to refinance in the short term, mm -hmm. so we're not going to get. We don't believe we're going to get caught. You know in, in a bad point in the cycle when we need to refinance or sell um, because of the long the long time horizon for hold, that gives us a lot of flexibility for timing our exit. You know, we can wait out the cycle, see where it goes, and then, you know, hopefully still be in the deal, you know, in, within our term at the kind of the, the best point in the next cycle to sell. So we're really looking out sort of beyond this cycle mm -hmm. into the next cycle. So like mid to mid, we'll call it. Yeah. Mid to mid cycles. Yeah. So when it, can you disclose some of your like the financing terms, interest only, amortization, you know, what are the kind of, you know, when you're going to a bank or a financier or, you know, a fund uh, that's distributing, you know, debt, what are your terms and what are you looking for to best for your deal? 
so we, again, you know, are thinking about the same conservative long-term hold strategy. Mm -hmm. We want to minimize our interest rate risk. So we look for fixed, fixed rate only for as long as we can get it. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing, you know, 10-year fixed rate, 30-year amortization deals. We do amortizing debt. You know, we're not looking for interest only. Mm -hmm. We'll do leverage at 75%. Um, you know, we're not looking to financially engineer our way into returns. We're looking to, you know, look for fundamentally good assets. Um, and, you know, we just put enough leverage on there to, to juice the return a little bit, mm -hmm. but not, you know, not, we're not looking at, like, interest only debt or, you know, 90% financing or anything like that to, to turn a mediocre deal into a good one. And mm -hmm. We're looking for deals that are good uh, off, the, off the bat. So there's not a huge capital stack of, like, the no. senior mezzanine, no, mini mezzanine. Not at all. Okay. Yeah, we haven't. We've done really, really simply financed deals. Okay. You know, twenty-five percent equity from our investors, seventy-five percent debt, and that's it. Are you going to like a regular bank, or are you going to like a debt? We've done CMBS. Oh, okay. So far, at, at the bulge brackets or mini firms. So no, we've been. You know, we've done uh, J.P. Morgan. Okay. We've done KeyBank. Okay. Um, so we've been going with big big banks within their small loan program. Oh, within their small loan yeah. program. Oh, okay. No, yeah. that's that's great to know. I mean, yeah. some of these guys, I can tell you, this don't actually use CMBS, and I think it's a very valuable opportunity. Yeah, I mean, with what's going on with CMBS right now, yeah, I, I wouldn't use it on the next deal, uh, just because the spreads have made it unattractive. Yes, of course. Um, so we're probably looking to agency debt or maybe some smaller balance sheet lenders lenders okay. for our next deal. But um, yeah, CMBS has been been good so far for us. That's great. Uh, and what I mean, so you're saying you have a seven percent cap, your IRAs are in high teens, low twenties. That's great. Yeah, I'd say mid, mid mid teens to high teens. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. great returns. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. So, why don't you discuss a little bit about like you know what is your future goals? Uh, you know what is your max? You know where would you like to be? Say in the next five years. Say this goes well, uh, mid to mid. Would you like to go? You know pop up or stay, you know, stay in this uh, sweet spot or go after like a lot more assets geographically? So ideally what we would like to do mm -hmm. is uh, continue with the same model that we've been operating under of going after those under $10 million deals, but just doing it on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. So we would just kind of geographically spread out from where we are because, you know, as I mentioned before, our model involves buying assets that are close together so, you know, we can share expenses between them. So either that means you know, buying portfolios that are that are kind of tightly constructed, or constructing our own tight portfolios in other markets. So we'll expand outwards from the upstate in South Carolina to, you know, say, Columbia, Charlotte, Atlanta, Charleston, Savannah, maybe as far as Richmond, Virginia. You know, we might look in some of the attractive markets to the west, like Nashville, Knoxville, uh, places like that. But basically, we want to stay in that southeastern corridor okay. and just continue doing what we're doing. So I think I mentioned before that, you know, we've been experimenting with, with raising a fund. We also continue to do deals on a syndication basis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of where we want to go with all of this, you know, five years from now, you know, I'd like to see us have a portfolio, you know, 200, $250 million um, and really be able to generate some, some, some strong returns based on, you know, some real economies of scale. Is this kind of syndication, single D, like per, uh, separate a, uh, account situations and funds, or doesn't matter to you? Just 250 would be like the goal. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think having a, a fund with committed capital would make execution easier. Mm -hmm. um, so from that perspective, and also, I mean, I, I know, you know, so you, you may experience this yourself in, in, in your deals. I mean, I think a lot of investors got burned with funds mm -hmm. in, in the crash, and so they just want, they say, okay, show me a deal. I'm not interested in investing in a fund. I understand where that's coming from, but, you know, the diversification that they get from a fund I think is better for investors. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I, you know, it's great of me to tell them what they should do. <laughs> yeah, first. But, um, you know, but from my perspective. With I their mean, money, obviously. With their money. <laughs> but I mean, from my perspective, you know, we're looking at multiple deals. There's always, you know, there's always dogs and superstars. And, you know, if they're investing in one deal at a time, mm -hmm. you know, they might get the dog. And I don't want them having the dog. And I'd like to have, have them have the benefit of all the deals. Yes, so, of um, But that being said, you know, We'll proceed whichever way the market dictates that we go. Yeah. And if it dictates that we continue to do syndication deals, then that's what we'll do. So, final two things. Uh, why don't you tell us, you know, obviously the show's called The Closing Table. Yeah. Uh, it means a whole lot to me because I've been on a ton of them on different perspectives. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so The Closing Table means, you know, it's like the end of a lot of hard work to get the deal done and the beginning of all the hard work to manage the deal and make sure that you... Uh, you, you take it through its lifetime and, and you know, close it well for your investors. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time. Why don't you tell the uh, audience as well about maybe how to get in touch with you uh, for future investments on a syndication deal or your fund? Yeah, so the best way to get in touch with us is uh, through our website, which is twobridgesmanagement.com. That's two bridges spelled out and MGMT for management, so twobridgesmanagement.com. John, thank you for coming for, to Closing Table. I appreciate your time and effort. Uh, for That's it for the show this evening. Uh, check us out at www.closing-table.com. Follow us on Instagram at Closing Table. Uh, I'm your host, Joseph Foley. Let's get you to the winning side. <laughs>